If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. When Sweet Tarts dared to combine sweet and tart, they thought, why stop there? Why not create other exciting and unexpected combinations, like rainbows and ropes, or fruity and gummy, or chewy and more chewy? That's why they created fun treats like Sweet Tarts Twisted Rainbow Ropes, Gummies Fruity Splits, and Chewy Fusions. When you dare to combine, it's sure to blow your mind. Sweet Tarts, dare to combine. Visit SweetTartsCandy.com to shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm excited by this list that um, people are broadening their interest in history. I don't think it's a sort of fall of the Tudors, um, but it is an expansion in what we're interested in. I think there is a turnover, there's 35 new entries. There is a sort of changing of the guard a little bit, and we're seeing that there is definitely the impact of pop culture, of TV dramas, of movies, and perhaps the magazine, perhaps what books have come out this year, perhaps anniversaries. There's definitely variables that can change, which means that I think there is hope. That was Joanne Paul and Greg Jenner discussing our History Hot 100 poll. You're listening to the History Extra podcast from BBC History magazine. We're the UK's best-selling history magazine, available in print and several digital formats all over the world. Find out more at historyextra.com forward slash subscribe or look out for us in your digital newsstand or app store. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast. I'm Rob Attar, the editor of BBC History magazine. In this month's issue of the magazine, we revealed the results of our History Hot 100 our annual poll in which we ask you about the historical figures most interesting you. For the third year in a row, Richard III topped the poll, with the rest of the top ten comprising Eleanor of Aquitaine, 
Alfred the Great, Elizabeth I, Anne Boleyn, Winston Churchill, Adolf Hitler, Queen Victoria, William Shakespeare and Henry VIII. The highest new entries were Jane Austen, Lenin and Oswald Mosley, while the biggest fallers from 2016 were Catherine Parr, Henry V and Thomas More. Alongside the results, we included comments from numerous historians. And for today's podcast, we're taking a more in-depth look at our Hot 100 with two of those experts. Joanne Paul, a lecturer in history at the University of Sussex, and Greg Jenner, a public historian who's been a long-standing historical consultant on the CBBC series Horrible Histories. Chairing the discussion was our deputy editor, Charlotte Hodgman. And if you'd like to have the results in front of you while listening to this podcast, then you can find those online at historyextra.com. Which of the third took the top spot for the third year running? Did you see that coming? Did you think that perhaps he would retain that top spot? I actually thought that he'd maybe drop off the top spot. Um, a lot of the sort of excitement over finding him in the car park has disappeared. I don't think we've seen him on screen that much over the last year or two, so maybe I thought someone else would take the top spot. Yeah, I think um, we've seen in the rest of the list there is quite a lot of movement up and down and, and people sort of dwindling in momentum. But I think Richard III just has this sort of weird power. Mm. I, I, I call him Richard the Cubed because, for me, he's three people in what... He's, he's, he's the guy that we all know from medieval history, Richard III. He's the Shakespeare character known around the world as, a, as the great villain. And then he's also the kind of poster boy for archaeological science and the wonder of discovery. He's like, you know, he's a global headline and he's a man, and he's a character. But I think the interesting thing is that first Richard III uh, that you mentioned, the historical figure, we actually don't know that much about. He's so contentious. And I think that gives him a lot of staying power as well. It's those figures that are constantly the subject of debate that that stay of interest to people. Yeah, you're right. And he's sort of a quantum character. As soon as you look at him, he changes from villain to hero and back again, depending on who you're asking. So... Perhaps that's that's right. It gives him a sort of energetic quality that he's never really a settled king. He's never a bad king or a good king. He's always up for debate. But there must be others in the in the hundred that probably are equally as kind of enigmatic. You know, what is it about Richard? Is it the the princes in the tower? Yeah. Is it? You I think mean, that's it's, it? it's just princes in the tower, isn't it? I mean, the rest of his record is you start quibbling about his economic policy and whether he was a sort of gifted, you know, <laughs> was he a gifted uh, bureaucrat? And you kind of go, well, that doesn't really matter. What we care about is did he murder his his you know close relatives who are children. But I think it's not just the act, it's the personality that goes with it as well. What sort of person would do those sorts of things? What sort of person was he? You know, yeah. it's that question of is he the Shakespeare villain or is he the slightly more um, sympathetic character? Was he a victim of the victors of history? And I think it's that question of personality that keeps people coming back as well. But also the fact that we really struggle to meet in the middle of that. That there's such a binary. He's either this sort of champion of the medieval world who never quite got his shot and was cut down brutally young, or he's this arch-villain who should forever be vilified. And actually, he's, he's a medieval king. He's probably a bit of both. Well, and he's, he's a person. He's a historical <laughs> figure. I, I don't think any person, or very few of them, are 100% good, 100% bad. Um, they're always this sort of mix. But we have this tendency to want to put them in these categories of hero and villain. If you look at someone like Thomas Cromwell, who rose very yeah. high up the list this year, and Thomas More, who fell very far, um, about 35 points down it, um, these are once again figures who we like to see as heroes 
and villains, and we saw a switch in those two figures with Wolf Hall. Um, but of course, they were probably a bit of both. They were humans like most of us. Mm. Yeah. I mean, one thing that was quite notable was the, the kind of decline of the Tudors in both the top 10 and actually in the whole list itself. Do you think that's kind of representative of, of a wider dip in Tudor popularity? I'll let the Tudor historian take this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm conflicted <laughs> because, of course, as a Tudor historian, I want to say, yes, everyone should always be interested in the Tudors. It's the only <laughs> thing worth talking about. But actually, I'm excited by this list that um, people are broadening their interest in history. I don't think it's a sort of fall of the Tudors, um, but it is an expansion in what we're interested in. Um, and you can't understand the Tudors without understanding uh, the medieval uh, wars of, of uh, the Roses or what happened before them or what's going on around them them in Europe, um, and you can't really understand uh, their legacy without understanding some of those who came after. So a, a broad perspective on history is, is a good thing, I think. Yeah, and I, I think the uh, so-called death of the Tudors is perhaps a little, <laughs> a little premature. I mean, they're still all there, aren't they? They're still lingering. Is Henry VII in there? That's he the was, question. yes. He is. Okay, so Henry VII is the one who I always bang on about, because he's clearly the most important Tudor. Sure, just basically he's the first Tudor, and that is hugely important and significant. He's also an incredibly effective king. He's brutal, he's mean, he's ruthless, but he establishes the dynasty. But he doesn't have the charisma or the charm or the... The drama. The drama. It's, it's about the drama. I mean, a, a, again, as you said, this issue of, well, economic policies are all very important. Mm. I mean, that's kind of what he was all about, were these really important and interesting, yeah. if you're someone like me, economic policies. Um, but you don't get TV shows about that, uh, and, and there is no drama around those sorts of things, or there isn't, there isn't as much as Henry VIII and his, his wives. Yeah, I mean, when we did him on Horrible Histories, we did him as a glam rock star to try and give him some pizzazz, <laughs> um, <laughs> try and just elevate him a little bit. But ultimately, we, you know, in this series, he's not featuring, and it's back to Henry VIII and Elizabeth again. So there's this re recurring obsession with the grand personalities, and obviously the Tudors are the absolute zenith, I think, in our... In English history, perhaps British history, maybe Western history, I don't know. Certainly in America, the Tudors rate really well. They mm. still book sell well. So there's definitely something about them that they have this um, quality that we find irresistible. But yeah, maybe they're sliding just a little. I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, it's interesting. Do we think that Richard III is top of the list because he's sort of in that group as well. I mean, he's, he's not a Tudor, but he's the last king before the Tudors come in. Um, is, is he in there because he's sort of part of that story, that drama? I think so. I mean, as a football fan, you know, I know full well that there is no Messi without Ronaldo and there's no Ronaldo without Messi. You need your nemesis. Sometimes you need your antithesis to, to push back, to give drama and jeopardy and cause and consequence. And uh, again, sixth in the top 100, I think, is Churchill. Seventh is Hitler. Those two go everywhere together. They, you know, they, they will, they'll forever be adversaries for good cause, of course, but they just sort of get packaged as a, a duo. So I think we think about a lot of these people um, sometimes in a relationship with other people. So it's, it's not necessarily just their own qualities. I think there is also a, a pattern, as you say, um, thinking about them in their context. Yeah, because the, the Tudors were built on the sort of negative reputation of Richard III. I mean, that's yeah. where the, the sort of enigma begins, isn't it? Yeah, all the bad-mouthing. <laughs> um, Greg, what for you was the, the big story of this year's results, do you think? Power. Power. Power and royalty. It, it, 
I mean, I said in, when you asked me to comment in the magazine, I said, oh, this list would be the same in 1957. I went and checked. I had a little, <laughs> I went and rummaged in the library to see who would be, who would be on that list in 1957. Mm. Uh, the closest I could get was I, I dug out the old Ladybird books uh, that ran from 1940 to 1980. And I was pretty much right. A lot of the names are there as the sort of the big figures. Um, but when I went through it very quickly, just the things I found specifically interesting, and I know, I know we talked about this a little bit before, uh, two-thirds of them are men and one-third are women. And I think, um, I think Fern Riddell said, you know, this, we're seeing a rise in, in women. And I think maybe we are a little bit, but I think we're seeing a rise in royal women. Mm. Uh, only seven of the women were not royal in this list. So it's princesses, duchesses, queens that we seem to be more interested in than women in general, perhaps. You know, there are many great women from history, fascinating women, inventors, pioneers, reformers, religious figures, soldiers, you know, women who went to war, women who did tremendous things. But we keep coming back to... Uh, perhaps it's sort of the Game of Thrones thing, the Cersei Lannister thing. It's We're slightly obsessed with conniving Elena of Aquitaine. And, um, so, I, yeah, that, for me, felt more like stasis than a new change. I think it's, I think that's an interesting point. Uh, part, part of it is a problem with sources. You know, we were talking about, you know, well, who else um, would we know about other than Cleopatra, you know, who's, mm. who's an Egyptian woman? We just wouldn't necessarily know that many of them. But you're absolutely right. As, as you move through history, there's, there's more women that could be on this list um, that aren't. I just had a quick check to see if um, Ada Lovelace was on there. Yeah, no, and she's not. No, she's and not. she would be a great person to have on this sort of list. And she's been getting a lot of attention Yeah, so lately. is Mary Seacole, not yeah. on the list. Yeah, they both um, were last year, though. Were they? Mm. So that's what's interesting, I think, is that so there are 35 new entries. Yeah. So I suspect that's good news. I think that means people are reading your magazine, they're watching TV documentaries and dramas, they're thinking about new names and going, oh, well, this year I've been reading about this person. So actually there's quite a lot of churn. There is change mm. here. Yeah, if you look at everything under sort of the top 35, mm. they're always either new or there's been dramatic change. And mm. I think that that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but sort of the top 35 haven't changed all that much. Yeah, if you release the data on the top 200, I reckon they are <laughs> all sort of names that just carry throughout. You know, they've been famous for 30, 40, 50 years. We've been talking about mm. them forever. But clearly... In, the, in terms of the intensity of interest. There is quite a lot of new movement. There are some new names coming in, but they're pushing out some really famous names, which really surprised me. I've, got, I've made a big list. Um, so if you give me a moment, I will find the list. Um, so big list, whole page, surprise omissions. Names from the world of science, um, Alexander Fleming, Galileo, Michael Faraday, Alexander Graham Bell, Ada Lovelace, Charles Babbage, Marie Stopes. Uh, there are no Athenians, not a single one from the world of ancient Greece. We don't have a Plato or an Aristotle on no, there? No, wow. no, only Alexander the Great. And I think that's perhaps the decline of classical education in schools, I don't know. Maybe we care less about Greeks. Um, in the world of culture, Byron, Keats, Shelley, Dante, Chaucer, Chaplin, Sarah Bernhardt, uh, David Garrick, Mae West, Oscar Wilde, all missing. Explorers, loads of explorers missing. Shackleton, Captain Cook, Scott of the Antarctic, Francis Drake, Walter Raleigh, Lawrence Arabia, Charles Lindbergh, Amelia Earhart, Neil Armstrong, Yuri Gagarin, Gertrude Bell, Marco Polo, Magellan, Vasco da Gama, Hernan Cortez, Nelly Bly, Livingstone. None of them are in there. No. So these are names that are really famous. Uh, they turn up often in, in, in these... Um, in, in the Ladybird books, I keep finding. So they've dropped out. So maybe there is a, there's a bit of a change in who we're interested in now. 
Yeah, and again, I, I wonder, so one of the points that I made in, in my response to this was that it seems to me to be very dictated by sort of popular history and public history and TV shows and, and, and books and uh, the more sort of creative mm -hmm. side of history. And I wonder if that's really what underlies this, um, is this shift from, as you say, maybe what we were learning in schools to, well, what really interests us is, is stuff that we... Um, uh, experience on, on TV or, or at history festivals or, yeah. or these sorts of things, these stories that really draw us in, as opposed to we think this person is the most significant or important. Yeah. One of the things we were talking about um, before as well is, well, what is the history hot 100? What does hot mean? <laughs> what, what is this list actually all about? I mean, it's, it's not meant to be, I don't think, a list of the most important people who had the most important impact. It's just sort of who we're talking about, who we're interested in. Mm. And that's a very different thing, I think, than who we think is the most important. Yes. And I think one of the things I noticed was that we seem to be a lot more interested in extreme far-right politics, mm, suddenly. This year, definitely, yeah. And so we've got what, uh, Mussolini, Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin. Well, Stalin's on the far left, but, you know, still pretty extreme. Lenin, obviously, the anniversary this year of the Russian Revolution, but Mosley's in there, Goebbels. So presumably in, in a world where Trump and Le Pen and Erdogan are on the news a lot, we're starting to think, actually... Do these sort of authoritarian leaders or these you know, demagogues, if you want to call them that, whatever, you know, we've heard them being called fascists. Mm. What does fascism even mean? Uh, how far back does it go? Where did it start? How so do you perhaps, stop it? Yeah, yeah. Do you punch a fa you know, should you Hopefully. punch a fascist or should <laughs> yes. you hug a fascist? Yeah. Um, uh, or should you just, you know, meet them with arguments? I think, obviously, we're, we're looking at the news, there seems to be definitely that. Um, I noticed a few anniversary things that mm -hmm. sort of surprised mm -hmm. me a little bit. Um, Luther, obviously, yeah. is up 36 places, um, and that's the big anniversary, 500 years. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Lenin, of course, has entered at 37, Russian Revolution. I think Karl, Austin was another. Yeah, yeah Austin Austin's was, in there. Karl Marx, yeah. this is the 150th anniversary of Das Kapital. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, JFK, it's the 100th anniversary of his birth. He's in there. He's gone up 34 places. King John has gone up 23 places. Two years after Magna Carta anniversary, so maybe we're still thinking about him. I don't know. Yes, well, there's been a few articles um, in this magazine and I think others about who he was and what his reputation mm. was as well. And I guess he always attracts us a bit because it's the whole Robin Hood yeah. thing. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll see a comeback of, of Robin Hood and, and that sort of story as yeah. well at some point. But what's interesting is that who's making way for them. It's Henry V, it's the mm. Duke of Wellington. Uh, they've both plummeted. And, of course, they had anniversaries two years ago, Agincourt and, and Waterloo. Mm -hmm. So maybe we've thought about them hard, we've read all the books, we've read the magazine articles, we've done all we think we need to do on them, and now we're moving on to, yeah. you know, who else is interesting, who's new? But there's no place for Chairman Mao, Mao Zedong, and this, of course, is the anniversary of the Cultural Revolution, 50 years. There's no place for David Lloyd George, and this is the anniversary of the Balfour Declaration and the British government supporting the foundation of the State of Israel. Again, a hugely important... Um, and it can, we're in World War I territory, there's no Hague in there. Or, so I think anniversaries are sort of a curious one because clearly some people have, have landed and some people have, have missed the boat. So yeah. um, there's a lot that doesn't seem to make sense and some of it that does make sense. I mean, maybe it's just purely arbitrary. <laughs> maybe we shouldn't be here at all. <laughs> Do you think there's kind of um, an argument for saying that a lot, lot of this kind of comfort history, these are the kind of familiar... I mean, few people would look at the list and not be able to identify you know, the majority of people who are named? I, I think that that's probably the case. We like uh, familiarity. Uh, we, like, we like characters in history that we can... I mean, as a historian, 
I, I often talk about the figures that I, I work on as if they are people that I know, that I, <laughs> I, I spend the afternoon or the evening with, and I get to know a little bit better. And, and I think that that um, applies to a lot of people, that they think about these figures as, as um, friends or enemies or people sort of in, in, their, in their networks. Um, and so that sort of thing, I think, is, is probably powerful. Yeah, I agree. I think we, we've seen this year two big TV dramas we were talking about, yeah. Queen Victoria on ITV and um, the Last, Kingdom. Last Kingdom, which is a, um, Alfred the Great, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And they've both jumped up. Yeah. And I think... The big story here is Ethel Fled, isn't it? Ethel Fled is my favourite, so yeah. I'm delighted that Ethel Fled's in there. I think what we're seeing perhaps is that television and, and also historical fiction can inject personality and drama and jeopardy and those sort of fascinating, conflicting human emotions mm. into these characters from the past who perhaps, when we read about them, are a little bit more staid or a little bit formalised. And we, we do them at school, perhaps, we don't really get to the grips with who they were, what, how they thought. Mm. But when we see them dramatised on TV or we read a great novel, suddenly they come to life and we mm. care more. Well, yeah, they, they introduce us to, to new people mm. um, in that sense. Um, I mean, one of the great things about the show that you work on, Greg, Inside Versailles, is that it takes this um, historical drama and then does the work that a lot of people do after a, a historical drama, which is go on Google and look these people up. Yeah. And it does that for people. It, it sort of says, well, this part was, was true, this part maybe wasn't so true, but actually here's a another really interesting and historically accurate story <laughs> yeah. that, to, to go along with it. Um, these historical dramas are, we sometimes talk about them as sort of gateways um, yeah. to, to, to history. And, and that's, I think, a lot of what we see here. Yeah, and obviously I do the similar job for children with horrible histories. Mm -hmm, exactly, trying to introduce yeah. children to people they may not have heard of and trying to give them a sense of uh, some context. And, but also we're making fun of history. We're having, it's a pantomime. It's ludicrously over the top and we're doing pop songs and stuff. So sometimes to make history interesting, you have, you have to humanise it and, mm. and fill in the blanks with, with creativity. Um, a number of the panel mentioned how sort of white British yeah. characters dominated. Um, that's been one of the sort of things that have come out of this poll. Yeah. Um, why do you think are we are we not interested in the history of other cultures, or is it that we don't have access, or we don't perhaps think about that as well? I think the familiarity mm. uh, issue that you just brought up is is a good one. Um, I, I, it's not uh, taught in school as as often. Um, it's not something that's on TV as often, um, and uh, there is often an attempt to sort of reinforce our own history um, and tell that, which is important, and we should tell our own history, but there is vast swaths of, of history out there that we could be talking about and could be thinking about, and that is often underrepresented. Um, and that's why when we talk about uh, the way in which popular and public history influence this list, I like to see that as an opportunity. It means that if we did make shows about Chinese history or Japanese history or African history or, or some, some other part of history, um, I think people would be interested and we'd see those names on the list next year. Yeah, I agree. I think we've got one East Asian, Genghis Khan, and one South Asian, Gandhi. And that's your lot for two enormous continents with thousands of years of history yeah. and it, it feels like perhaps lower down in, in the ranking these names actually are, are cropping up a lot maybe people are reading about them but there's just not quite enough of a threshold yet to beat the Elizabeth I and the Eleanor of Aquitaine we're still slightly obsessed with our or not slightly obsessed we're still completely obsessed <laughs> with our own island story and our own colonial story and, and actually when we talk about empire we do it so often through the frame of nostalgia. And this year alone, we've seen a lot of documentaries about the partition of India in particular. And uh, I did a poll on Twitter. I was really curious to see if these BBC documentaries had, in it, had an impact. 
and I think 64% of people had never heard the story before. Really? That, that and many? you just sort of go, oh my word, well that's, mm. I mean, so clearly along, someone along, along the way, they've just not come across it at school, but also they've just not even heard about it in, in passing conversation, or they haven't sat to someone on a bus who said, you know, I came across in 1947 with my grandparents or whatever. You know, there's just a sort of disconnect with enormous parts of global history. Mm. And the problem is, is that you can't have these disconnects really because we live in a globalised world and there are people from all over the world living here and we travel the world, we do business with China, we do business with India, we do business with Africa and South America and North America. You know, we have to be a bit more conversant with their own culture, their stories and also sometimes we're going to have to be better at understanding when people don't like us very much if we're British because of what we do. <laughs> yes. I mean, you're Canadian, you get out of it. But, <laughs> you know, the British flag sometimes doesn't bring with it great memories for some people and uh, we have to be perhaps a little bit better at identifying that and, and being more honest about it and saying that the British Empire is not necessarily something to be always proud of. Mm. Well, again, it's, it's um, telling stories and humanising them, exactly as you were saying before. Um, we can know that, yes, the British Empire happened, and, yes, various events occurred, but also there were people involved yeah. in that, and also there were histories that had nothing to do with, with Britain or England um, that, that were completely isolated from that. Not everything has to sort of yeah. connect up that way. And telling an isolated story about an interesting individual and an important individual somewhere else might be worth doing. Yes, and obviously there are some people from history who are just fascinating in their own right, and their stories are incredible, and we're just not perhaps quite capturing that, and maybe we need to be working harder as historians and public historians um, to, to share these stories, because um, there are people whose lives are ready-made for Hollywood movies, oh, and absolutely. we just haven't got there yet. I mean, do you think it's that the work isn't being done then on these individuals? No, or no it definitely it is. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's definitely. You know, it, it, it's also about airtime and, and, yeah. and bandwidth. There are only so many slots on television for documentaries, and um, commissioners at the BBC, at Channel 4, ITV, have commercial pressures, or BBC has pressures about, they need to deliver a certain number of audience figures, they need mm -hmm. to put programmes on that they know people are going to watch, so they can then say, well, we made a successful show. And so there's a real problem there that they necessarily, they, you know, there's lots of very clever, very well-read people working in these jobs who might say, yes, it would be amazing to do a documentary series about Persia, mm. but are a million people going to tune in? We don't necessarily think they will. We think Henry VIII is going to do that for us. Yeah, I think it's about taking a risk sometimes. Yeah. Um, and maybe this is slightly a tangent, but I think it also has to do with the, the break between um, academic history and the more public side of history um, and, and about bridging the disconnect between them a little bit more. Um, I think you were saying as well that, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of time between, well, academics suing their, their history in the archives and writing their, their books that are covered in footnotes and yeah. not very interesting. Um, and, and then it takes some years, maybe even decades, but before, well, actually a more popular history is, is produced. And maybe yeah. we can start speeding up that process a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I was curious. So I had a look at the British Library's bibliographic database for Eleanor Rakitain to mm. see why she'd suddenly surged. Because she's an amazing woman. She's absolutely fascinating. You know, when you read a story, you go, what an... You know, and she's properly Cersei Lannister. She's conniving. <laughs> she's got, you know, Ooh. she's got husbands and ex-husbands and sons squabbling. You know, amazing woman, but clearly not as deranged and evil as Cersei. But That'll there's... have to be a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but she seems to be, you know, influ the idea of a, a she-wolf who has, has tremendous 
control. But I was curious to see why she suddenly surged. And so I had a look at the British Library's bibliographic database, which charts how many books are published about people in certain years. Eight books initially, then 17 between 2001 and 7. But 28 books published about her since 2007, of which half are novels. So what's happened is that historians have written about her. They've returned to her every four years to go, oh, we still think this, <laughs> or we've changed our minds slightly. And then you see an enormous surge in historical fiction uh, around the turn of the millennium. And it's taken off and novelists are discovering these stories and giving them life and are reaching out to new audiences. So you think historical fiction can play a big role then in, in getting people's interest? Oh, in... absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's precisely what we see on this list mm. is, um, I mean, we were talking about TV dramas, um, probably because that's what we watch, but yeah. I, I'm sure <laughs> if we also had a look at um, some of the more recent um, novels as well, um, the historical fiction um, that has been very important over the last year or so, we would see the effect of that as well. Yeah, I mean, just Hilary Mantel's... Yeah, Wolf Hall. just The fact uh, that Thomas Cromwell is... Cromwell became, yeah. you know, a number one best-selling sensation. Yeah. And, I mean, that's great. He's a fascinating man. But no one would have seen that coming, really, until you get a fantastic novel that everyone is reading and they, they need to know the truth behind it. Mm. Have you got any predictions for next year? Can <laughs> we do the poll again? Ooh, um, I think we'd need to see the data, the breakdown on who you've covered this year in the magazine... I'd, oh, like okay. see, I'd like right. to see who's on the cover every week, every month for a year and see if there's something there. But anniversary-wise, next year you've got end of World War I. Yeah. It's a biggie. Um, maybe Lord Byron, he might have an anniversary in 1818, I can't remember. Uh, there's, you know, there's the, the Strasbourg dancing fever of 1518 is a classic story <laughs> that everyone should know. Um, yes. I think, I think we'll see more of the same. My hope is that we might see a little bit more movement in, in black history in Britain. I mean, okay, so maybe we're not going to get, you know, a, a sizable change in African history, but I think there's so much fantastic work going on, um, rediscovering the lives of, of black and Asian um, Chinese immigrants who came to Britain in the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries and who lived really interesting lives here, contributed or struggled, and we're finding them in the records more and more. Mm. I mean, I've spent eight years researching a man called Bill Richmond, who was a, uh, the first black celebrity in British history. He became a boxer. He was born a slave. His life's extraordinary. And there are people out there who, you know, Alado Equiano and people who like, like that perhaps who I think just they need to just be moved into the public consciousness a little bit. And I'm sure the public will suddenly go, oh, wow, this person's amazing. So that's my hope. I, I agree, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping, and maybe this is a challenge to, to anyone um, who's listening to this podcast, to go out and, and find someone who isn't on the list, um, who you maybe wouldn't have, have thought of, um, who is maybe hidden somewhere, um, not in, in the public consciousness, um, and, and maybe read about them a little bit. Um, because there is work being done, there are books being written um, about all sorts of fascinating people who didn't make the top 100. Um, and it would just, it would just be great um, if people uh, were a little bit more aware of them and were able to talk about those stories a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, there's a didacticism to it, and there's also just a curiosity factor. Mm. Sometimes you read history to learn about the past and to try and understand the world you live in, and sometimes it's just what's, what's interesting reading. Mm. And these lives are fascinating, and oh, there are so many incredible stories to be covered, and, and hopefully, mm. yeah, maybe TV will do more of them, maybe novels do more, maybe the magazine will do more, and, and maybe 
maybe anniversaries will crop up and we'll, we'll find ourselves talking about someone completely new at number one next year. Mm-hmm. But I, I do have a sneaking suspicion that Richard might cling on. Oh, no, let's knock him <laughs> off. Come on, we can do it. We need to dig up another king, don't we? Well, that's, I mean, that's the other thing, isn't it, <laughs> yeah. actually, is that there are still some lurking around. Um, so uh, what else stood out from this list for you? I, uh, for me, I just noticed a sort of lack of radicalism, a lack of people who changed the world or who, who opposed power structures. You know, we've seen a lot of powerful people, I think, haven't we? Yeah, there's a lot of people with power, fewer people who opposed them or brought them down. Um, and, and I think that that might be important for us as, as we're thinking, as you say, about all these sort of fascist leaders or, yeah. or you yeah. know, communist <laughs> leaders or whatever. Well, let's tell the stories of, of, of the people who maybe... Um, thought differently. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose names that I just noticed who are not on the list, you know, William Tyndale, um, Guy Fawkes, who obviously is getting a big... Oh, yeah, he, he'll be, he's he'll be on there. He's got a big drama coming, so yeah. I, miss, I miss, you know, Kit he's, Harrington is... Kit Harrington will be on the list next year. There's, there's the prediction. <laughs> um, Frederick Douglass, who Donald Trump forgot was dead. Um, <laughs> Mary Wollstonecraft, Thomas Paine, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, John Wesley, Olympe de Gouges... Uh, Elizabeth Fry, you know, the prison reformer. Uh, Nye Bevan, this is the year, you know, we've got the big NHS anniversary and we're not talking about the, the beverage report or Nye Bevan. Or, so there's a, sort of people in our own recent history, Joseph Rowntree, Thomas Clarkson, William Wilberforce, these people who... Robert Owen. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've definitely got a lot of powerful people on there. We've definitely got a lot of warriors on there. I think about a third of the people in the top 100 fought on a battlefield, which when you think that a third of the people there are women tells you a huge amount about how we view masculinity and power. So I think, I think Britons used to be more interested in radicals. I think we've slightly lost that. And it might overlap with that a little bit too, but um, there's not so many intellectuals on the list either. As you say, it's, it's a lot to do with people who either wore crowns or fought on battlefields or both. Um, and we don't have a lot of the scientists, the explorers you were mentioning, but also just you know intellectuals, people like um, Machiavelli yeah. isn't on there. And I mean, he had a, an amazing um, life as well as, as writing one of the most important political texts um, yeah. we have. I don't think Thomas Hobbes is on there. Um, you know, these sorts of people as yeah, well. Locke, yeah, Locke, Locke yeah. is missing. Uh, Wollstonecraft, as you said, uh, we don't have those people on the list. And that's partly because, oh, well, they wrote these really dry, boring books. You know, I'm not recommending to anyone that you pick up Hobbes' Leviathan. Just, (laughs) I mean, picking it up alone, it's quite heavy. Um, But but don't don't read it. But they still had really interesting lives, too. And if we want to tell these stories, um, these these are really interesting. Or or even John Milton, you know, a man who obviously is now... Legendary for that phenomenal poem, mm. uh, Paradise Lost. But when you discover that he wrote it at the end of his life, yeah, blind, blind yeah. having been pretty much exiled under pain of death, almost, mm. you know, who's living in a hovel more or less, um, dictating a poem, blind, and then hearing it back. And then, and then it's one of the great works of literature. And uh, but we sort of think of him as sort of a, perhaps a, a great man in his pomp, and he wasn't. He was. Mm. He was living in poverty, pretty much. Well, the same we can say about Machiavelli, um, somebody who spent so much time uh, working for the Florentine Republic um, as a diplomat, travelling the courts of Europe, and then when the Medici came to power, was tortured um, for for weeks on end, and then exiled, and then wrote The Prince, um, this fantastic text that wasn't published, um, printed, until after his death. So, again, a really interesting story uh, that we just don't really... I am, um, and the, the only other thing I was curious about was I read yesterday a book that is, has been written by a computational statistical analysing person. 
He's a professor. Not, not a historian, then. He's a professor of mathematics, and I don't really know what that means. Um, and then the other person works for Google. And what they've done is they've crunched the numbers statistically on uh, Wikipedia and Google books. So they used um, essentially algorithms to find out who are the most written about people in history. Oh, OK. And I, I've put a huge long thread on Twitter yesterday, um, yesterday being September the 4th. If you want to look it up on my Twitter, you can. Um, and what was really interesting was how white and Western and American this list was. And that is an interesting reflection, I think, of, of Wikipedia's biases. So I think, again, we, when we go to Google things, when we go to Wikipedia to look up lives, Wikipedia is amazing. It's one of the greatest things of our age. I love Wikipedia. It's free. It's brilliant. But there is an enormous Western particularly American, particularly white, particularly male bias in the people we choose to think interesting and choose to write up their lives. And so this list that I've put loads and loads of photos and screen craps up on, on, uh, online, you can see Jesus is number one. Napoleon well, he's not is white number... or Western. No, Jesus yeah, not, you know, is not. Yeah, but of course, he's yeah. the sort of the West savior. Has been, has been appropriate. Number two is Napoleon, yeah. but then like Ronnie Reagan's in there, and you kind of go <laughs> Reagan. <laughs> so there's some really odd outliers, and there's some people missing who are really obvious. So uh, again, I think what's so interesting is the the fact that we have so much knowledge available to our fingertips, so much radio and television and books, so many things we can read, and yet there are these innate structural biases in them mm. that probably keep reinforcing themselves over and over, and maybe it's going to take a big shove to move us onto the next thing. So who would be your number one person to look up? <laughs> if, if somebody was going to look up one person, who should they look up? Uh, God. <laughs> I mean, uh, obviously, I'm going to say Bill Richmond because I yeah, think he's yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I'm writing a book at the moment about the history of celebrity, and um, there were people who were globally famous in the late 18th and 19th century, or maybe not globally, but certainly in America and Europe, whose fame was extraordinary, who had phenomenal lives, incredibly complicated lives. And they lived the full celebrity lifestyle. And we've sort of forgotten about them completely. Mm. And that's really interesting to me is that some names perpetuate and some names just sort of drop off a cliff. Uh, so uh, certainly Jean-Jacques Rousseau, I mean, he's worth reading about because he's not just one of the great intellectuals. He's also a bit mad. I mean, he, oh, completely he, mad. He goes absolutely Huge bonkers. Huge well. I mean, he, Exactly, he's a misogynist. <laughs> he writes books on how to raise children. Yeah. He writes a best-selling novel that makes people cry. Like, Operas as well. Yeah, yeah, and then he goes completely bonkers at the end of his life and writes this conspiratorial autobiography yeah. uh, called The Confessions where he, he's just sort of complaining about being a celebrity and how everyone is obsessed with how how amazing he is and he can't go anywhere without them hounding him. And he's, he's just so interesting. And at the same time, you kind of hate him, but, <laughs> but so important. And of course, one of the founding intellectual fathers of the French Revolution so, and the American Republic. So uh, maybe Huge him. celebrity drama as well between him and David Hume yeah, that, he has that, a massive that covers argument. the papers. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost like tabloid press. And it's he has fantastic. fans. So just like, you know, remember the Jennifer Aniston, yeah. Angela Jolie thing of Team Aniston, Team Jolie. He has fans and Hume has fans. And they write these disgustingly rude letters yeah. in newspapers to each other, sort of going, oh, you know, Rousseau's a great man. No, Rousseau's a fraud. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that surprised me, actually, is that at the end of the 18th century, celebrity culture is not just up and running. It is furious and, you know, completely already there. So what, what gives these kind of these historical celebrities, what makes us remember some of them and not the others? Have you found anything that kind of that link? Yeah, so posthumous legacy is really fascinating and it essentially requires curation. So as soon as you die, you need to be saved by those who knew you, which happens to Keats 
um, and it happens to uh, Van Gogh, but it doesn't happen to quite a lot of very famous novelists who are enormous bestsellers in their lifetime, and then they just fall off a cliff because their style of novel goes out of fashion, they're too sentimental. Um, so there are people who get rediscovered, um, but what you really need is someone who, about 20 years after you've died, to write a brilliant biography about you. So Elizabeth Gaskell, for example, wrote an amazing biography on the Brontes, and overnight the Brontes became like super important, and people started visiting their house. Someone took home one of their windows as a, as a sort of bit of weird paraphernalia. They took it back to America with them. Um, and ditto, David Garrick made Shakespeare famous, really, in the 18th, in 18th century. Garrick created Shakespeare as we know Shakespeare now. Mm -hmm. And then you've got this industry that cropped up that was selling Shakespeare tat. You could buy a bit of the tree that he sat underneath. And so you kind of, as with historians, you need someone to keep the flame alive. Um, and if they don't do that, you just drop out entirely. You lose all your momentum. Well, we had that happen with, with Richard III, um, mm. that, of course, you get Polydor Virgil and, and yeah. Thomas More writing histories of, of Richard III um, and, and that period uh, shortly after his death, and that's what, what keeps him going. But it all comes from um, hagiographies, doesn't it? Yeah. And this idea of, of saints um, and, and, and our celebrity culture, I think, and, and you're the expert on this, is built on, on the way that we used to think about saints. Yeah, um, exemplary lives. Exactly. But then yeah. what happens in the 18th century is you see this sudden surge in a much more mercantile sense of ownership and celebrities stop being exemplary. They start being... Uh, morally neutral. You can hate them or love them and it doesn't matter. Oh, that's interesting. So they yeah. suddenly gain this quality where they are... Controversy is no longer a bad thing. Um, it can ruin their career still a bit and certainly box office can go down if you're an actor, but actually being talked about is actually what really matters. No, press is bad press. Yeah, and then off the back of that you yeah. get people who literally coin that. So um, Phineas um, Barnum actually turns that into a business model. Mm. No press is bad press. He literally writes adverts in newspapers saying the things you, in my show are frauds, come and see for yourself. <laughs> so people pay money to it go works, and see the yeah. fraud, and then they come, you know, they come back again next time to see another fraud that he said, it's a fraud, come and see. You know, he's just making money off people talking. And we still see that now with you know, people on Twitter who are professional sort of provocateurs. Do you think um, the lack of um, ancient history in the, in the list, um, do you think that's because people find it harder to engage with people, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago that we don't we know an awful lot about is that do you think that's that could be one reason why they don't feature so much i think it's probably to do with classical education mm. i think i had no classical education growing up and you know at university you sort of get dumped into it pretty hard and so i had to sort of you know learn a bit of latin and a bit of old norse and old english and it was all really difficult and and i'd be i'd gone to a grammar school but we didn't do latin at school so there's a whole language barrier there for me that I think could be quite off-putting, and, and perhaps it's the remoteness. But I think we find Cleopatra irresistible. I think Caesar is still really famous. I think the problem is, is just, I think the Greeks are a little bit more remote than the Romans. Yeah, it's an interesting question, and I, I really, I feel like I'm maybe the wrong person to ask because I find it also fascinating. <laughs> um, I didn't, I didn't have a classical um, education either, but when I was about twelve, I learned ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs, and I was, I was going to become an Egyptologist, and um, I watched the Mummy, and I was, that was, that was going to be me. Um, then, then I got my first sunburn and realized that that, I was, that was not going to work. Um, but so for for me, I find it all really incredibly fascinating, and I actually, I, I can't come up with a good 
answer to that question because I, I think it is a fascinating period. Um, and I, I wonder if, if after 300, if a few mm -hmm. um, were, were on the list, um, there, there have been... Um, movies made made about the period. Um, we had, you know, Troy and, and various others. So there is interest in that period. Mm. Um, maybe there just hasn't been as much recently. Maybe this is just a recent trend. Yeah, I mean, you asked uh, Dr. Michael Scott for his mm, take, yes. and his take was quite interesting because I think he he said oh, it's been a mixed bag. I think he was, you know, there's some ancient people on here, mm. but we're missing quite a lot of really famous Roman mm. emperors. We're definitely missing Athenians, and that's perhaps the most surprising for me is that obviously Athens for so many centuries has been held up as the bastion of Western civilization, which I think is now a paradigm that we've sort of thrown out and gone, well, hang on, that's not really how it works. But certainly for Socrates to be missing and Aristotle, Aristotle Plato, um, we don't have that many Romans. Herodotus. Either. Are we missing? Are we missing yeah, Cicero I mean, as well? Yeah, I, think. I mean, there's a yeah, huge yeah. number yeah. of Romans completely missing. Quite a few emperors, but yeah, again, it's the power thing again, isn't it? Is Caligula in there? Uh, no. So, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Caligula is uh, sort of your go-to uh, Trump comparison if you're on Twitter. <laughs> uh, or Nero. Nero and Caligula. Nero, I've yeah. seen them being alternated. Uh, so there's some massive um, missing holes there that I, I think the ancient world is just a bit too remote for us, but I think there is there's something about the way that we don't do classical languages and classical education at school, perhaps as much as we do modern history. And I think maybe that's the curriculum as well. I, you know, the, the way that we learn history is that you do Romans when you're six and then you do the 18th century when you're 14 or 15 and then you end up with Hitler and the Weimar Republic and the Cold War when you're a bit more grown up, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe it's just it's purely about the chronology of, of the world. Do you think there's mileage in doing this, these sorts of polls? I mean, the, the panel seemed to be quite split. Some people, some, <laughs> some amazing of you were, split, yeah, wasn't some it? Of you were saying yeah. there's a load of no, new names, it's, you know, it's, it's telling us all these sorts of things. And then the other half were saying, this is just old news, this, this is predictable, boring. Where do you stand on that? Well, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think we are the split. So actually, I think this discussion came out of a, 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 yeah. a debate we were having on, on Twitter that um, I was team... Um, Naive optimist. <laughs> um, and I was team grumpy pessimist. Yeah, um, and and there definitely is a clear split um, among among the uh, the commentators uh, along those lines. Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious. I mean, Peter Frankopan said, you know, hang on a minute, where's the global history? Mm. I think that's a really fair point. I think absolutely we, that, that's something we all have to probably just go. Okay, you know what? We really shouldn't at least know the name of three Chinese emperors. Just three, you know. I think that's a sort of a big thing where we just we've just completely ignored half the world. Now we then focus on the West, perhaps, and then you say, okay, are we learning? Is there a turnover? I think there is a turnover. There's 35 new entries. There is a sort of changing of the guard a little bit, and we're seeing that there is definitely the impact of pop culture, of TV dramas, of movies, and perhaps the magazine, perhaps what books have come out this year, perhaps anniversaries. There's definitely variables that can change, which means that I think there is. Hope. Well, there is opportunity, yeah. uh, you know, as we were saying, once we can sort of, I mean, here, here we're sounding like mathematicians, once we isolate the variables, <laughs> um, but once we see what sort of the currents are and the trends and the way that we, we actually have some say in those currents and trends, they're not just um, left to the fortunes and the muses, we can actually 
move things in certain directions. Probably not quickly. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to see one of those Chinese emperors at the top of the list by next year. Could happen. <laughs> um, but you know, we we will see change, um, and we have the opportunity, I think, to implement some of that change and and to guide people to new and interesting stories elsewhere. Yeah, and I think we've also got that sort of that wonderful thing that we're British. We're going to be we're going to be interested in our own stories. That's just to be taken for granted. And if you did this poll in France, I'm mm. half French. I know this. I grew up in a house where my mum was always banging on about how Agincourt is a minor skirmish. <laughs> and there's no, you know, she'd always go on about you know the fact that they lose the Hundred Years' War in the end in English. So it doesn't matter. So every nationality has a bias, and the Americans will put Washington and Lincoln much higher than we would, and that's to be expected. And I don't think any historian would say, well, it shouldn't be that way. I think you're always going to care about your own story, but I think there is definitely room for us to perhaps broaden the public's knowledge of, of just the world that they live in. There's not a single Canadian on that list, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an anniversary year. I know. We should put at least one Canadian on that list by next year. Could, could you, can you come, each come up with three people not on the list that you would recommend readers or listeners? Yeah, come? Um, yeah I think. I mean, I've... In terms of the people who I thought were missing, who I, I, I just thought, oh, what that, you know, that's a great story. I would definitely say, in terms of people who lived really interesting lives, so rather than impact on the world, because I think impact is quite a hard thing to measure, in terms of just really interesting lives, Sarah Bernard, who was the, one of the great actresses of the late 19th century and just about made it into early cinema, was absolutely amazing, a fascinating, amazing woman, one-legged, slept in a coffin, completely, you know, total sort of diva, really interesting, and at the cusp of international global celebrity. Really great, a really interesting woman to read about. And there's some good books about her. Uh, also, as I said, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Again, I've got the going on the celebrity thing. And, and maybe, maybe someone like Alodo Equiano, maybe someone, you know, whose life was tinged with tragedy and hardships. Uh, or Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass is an amazingly interesting man. I've just read, uh, read um, not written, read, I'm writing about him in my book. I've just read a brilliant book about his use of photography. He was one of, he was the most photographed American ever in the 19th century, more than Lincoln, more than anyone else, second only to Queen Victoria in terms of being globally photographed at the time. He was incredibly clever in using photography to push forward um, what was essentially civil rights, but at the time was anti-slavery. So he was a black intellectual who used new technology to reach the masses. And he toured Britain and was a huge celebrity here. So those are my three. I think uh, for mine, one would be uh, Suleiman the Magnificent. Um, surprising to me that he's not on this list, um, given he falls right into that sort of Tudor era, yeah. um, definitely interacted with the Tudors, um, but isn't, isn't on this list, um, uh, ruling uh, the Ottoman Empire when they're about 25 million people strong. Um, so really, really important figure um, and a very interesting story. Um, others I would include um, would be uh, Shauna Dithit, um, who was the last of the Beotuks um, in the 19th century. Um, the Beotuk tribe um, in uh, Newfoundland or Newfoundland, yeah. uh, Canada, um, completely wiped out. Um, and she's, she's the last one. She, she's the one who communicates um, all the information about her tribe, about her people. Really fascinating figure, dies in her late 20s, but um, has such a big impact on our knowledge of, of um, those peoples. How do you spell her name? Ooh, um, <laughs> I believe it is S H A N A W D I. T H I T 
tea, okay. Shauna Dithit. Um, I think that's right, um, but I'm reaching back to sort of grade school here. Um, but uh, Google her and you will find her. Um, and the last would be, I think, Nellie McClung, um, who was um, a great uh, Canadian suffragist um, in Manitoba. Uh, she managed to secure the vote for women um, in 1916, so, so quite early, actually. Um, and one of the ways uh, she did that was she held a mock parliament in, in Manitoba, and she was the sort of mock premier um, for that day. And she opened uh, the parliament and, and brought everybody in. And uh, she began by uh, complimenting the men on their appearance and <laughs> telling them that they might find uh, politics a little too upsetting for them, so maybe they should excuse themselves. And just a fascinating, wonderful, um, charismatic figure um, that uh, we don't know that much uh, uh, about. Yeah, and also can I add one more woman, Empress Sushi in uh, in late China, you know, that sort of, she rose from being a consort to being this incredibly powerful mm -hmm. woman. And she interacts with British history. She overlaps with Queen Victoria. There is a really good way into Chinese history and a really good way into understanding why China is now a communist mm -hmm. state. It's the decline and fall of the imperial empire or the imperial system, and Britain is involved in that. And she was there at the tail end, but her own life was fascinating in its own right. So, uh, so she is, is really another good one to just sort of, you know, go and read about and, and you'll find that she's a great way into a new way of looking at the world. OK, so that was Greg Jenner and Joanne Paul discussing our History Hot 100 poll. Greg's most recent book is A Million Years in a Day, A Curious History of Daily Life, which was published in 2015 by Weidenfeld and Nicholson. Meanwhile, Joanne is the author of Thomas More, published last year by Polity. And as I mentioned before, you can read the full results and expert comments in our September issue, which is on sale now. This month's edition also includes articles on Viking battles, the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, Queen Victoria's turbulent marriage, medieval Europe's unholiest monk, and a whole lot more. Look out for our September issue in all good news agents and our many digital formats. And do also head to historyextra.com for more coverage of our History Hot 100. We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now 
and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Well, now it's time for this week's history news with our website assistant, Rachel Dinning. Bomb disposal experts in Frankfurt successfully defused a giant World War II bomb last Sunday following the evacuation of tens of thousands of people. The unexploded device, which was capable of flattening an entire street, was discovered during building work near the West End campus of Goethe University. Around 60,000 people had to be evacuated from the surrounding area to allow experts to make the bomb safe. Officials have since said the operation is the biggest of its kind in post-war German history. In other news, scouts and guides from across the UK are pledging to plant poppies to mark the 100-year anniversary of the end of World War I. The idea is to create a carpet of red flowers that stretches the entire length of the UK, from Land's End in Cornwall to John O'Groats in Scotland. The so-called Ribbon of Poppies project is the brainchild of Buckinghamshire resident Ian Henderson and his colleagues from the Memorial Mob, a group dedicated to remembering those killed in action. Mr Henderson told the BBC that the group wants to create a living legacy to those who paid the ultimate price. Poppies planted in 2017 are expected to flower between April and August next year. Meanwhile, new research suggests that Bronze Age women in Europe were more adventurous than their male counterparts. While women travelled hundreds of miles to start new families, men were much more likely to stay in their place of birth. Professor Philip Stockhammer, who led the research project, told The Telegraph that the findings shed a new light on the extent of early human mobility. He said, We all know these stories about warrior men out fighting while the women and children stayed at home, but it appears things were quite different. Our study suggests that almost none of the men had travelled, while two-thirds of the women had. Just before we go, here's a reminder that tickets are still on sale for our History Weekends the first of which, at Winchester, is now less than a month away. Head to historyweekend.com for more details of the fantastic lineups and how you can purchase your tickets. Well, that's about it for today, but please do listen in on Monday for more from the world of history. Thanks for listening to this History Extra podcast, which was produced by Jack Fletcher. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing podcast at historyextra.com and we might read out your messages in future editions. Alternatively, why not keep in touch via Twitter or Facebook, where you'll find us at History Extra. For more great history content, don't forget to visit our website, historyextra.com, which is full of history articles, quizzes, image galleries and more. Plus, it's where you can download hundreds of previous episodes of this podcast. Thank you.